Hello and welcome to the IBCD Care and Discipleship Podcast. We are on site at Mission Hills Church in San Marcos, California for our 2017 Institute. And we are interviewing some of our keynote speakers. Today we're delighted to have Mark Shaw with us and uh, Jim Neuheiser is also joining us. So we get to talk a little before the conference starts. And so Mark, glad you could join us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Mark, I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself um, and the ministry that you're involved in with biblical counseling? Well, the first thing I guess you should know is I'm a pastor, and so my heart is for shepherding God's people, and and you do that with the Word of God, and, and you rely on the Holy Spirit. And so uh, to do that in the area of addiction is sort of unique in the church today. A lot of people do other things, and so uh, I love to... Uh, lead people who think that the church is irrelevant for their problems. I love to help them with uh, the understanding that the Word of God speaks to the heart of addiction. And and so I work in a unique setting. I work at a women's residential program. I'm the pastor and the executive director of Vision of Hope. It's at Faith Church in Lafayette, Indiana. And I uh, get to shepherd a staff of about eight ladies. We have uh, eight staff members. We have 12 interns who come from all over the world to serve there. And then we have beds available for 26 residents who struggle in the areas of addictions or eating disorders, self-harm habits, uh, and unplanned pregnancy. Those are the four primary areas that we uh, help ladies with. And so uh, that's what I get to do. And all of that in the context of a local church. You know, our ministry is not a 501c3 standalone. We are part of the fabric of the local church woven into that. So that's the part I really like about what I get to do yeah. in wow. ministry. You know, I sent you an email, I think it was today, and the autoresponder popped out or popped back because you're here. And it, it listed this this huge list of if it's related to this, contact this person. I just couldn't believe how many different, like, contact things were going on. And part of what I wondered is what your day-to-day life looks like involved <laughs> in those ministries. It's chaotic. I guess that's the way to put it. No, um, I'm, I oversee Vision of Hope, and then we're working on a human trafficking ministry, which is uh, it, it's, we're, it's fascinating. We're trying to work with the state of Indiana to provide uh, like a safe house um, for girls that get caught up in you know prostitution and, and trafficking. So we help these girls out of that. The idea is they're, uh, they're wards of the state. So the only way that you can have access to these kids is if you are a licensed program to do so. So if you are, then they give you the children and you can help them. Uh, and we're going to, we're planning to do that with biblical counseling. The state is not as inclined to biblical counseling as, as you can imagine. So that's going to be an interesting, um, uh, that's just going to be an interesting walk to see how that, all that transpires. So I, I do the human trafficking and we have a house called Safe Haven that we have people stay in who are in trouble and the house is it's designed to help people with um, temporary homelessness and it could be a fire or flood it could just be down on their luck or whatever situation but they can live in that home and we can help them for about 30 days to kind of get on their feet to get to the next permanent place where they live so i do that as well and 
then write books and teach and do stuff. So it's fun. Man. Wow. <laughs> Busy. Wow. Yeah. In the ministries that you're describing, it sounds like they're involved in the community and then working with the state. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you're able to interact with that, those things and biblical counseling? Yeah. The, you know, I started out um, really wanting to help people. I wanted to be the next James Dobson. That's kind of who I was reading. And I never dreamed that the local church could help people. You know, I, I didn't know anything about biblical counseling. And so I began to take biblical counseling classes from a guy named Lou Priolo. And Lou just, op- it, you know, God used Lou to open my eyes to see that, wow, the local church should be doing this. And and so then my goal changed from being a James Dobson to being a pastor and, and shepherding people in the local church and, and helping people to use the, the Word of God wisely, you know, to help uh, counsel the heart. So... Uh, I don't know if I remember the exact question. I started rambling there. What? <laughs> Do you have any background and training that would help you oh, in your interactions yeah. with the government as you're trying to yeah. create these programs and interface? That yeah, I got a um, I got a master's degree in uh, educational psychology and did a lot of my initial eight years of work was all in the social you know social science network so i worked for mental health centers and i worked in different capacities as a director of programs and that kind of thing so all that experience in those those institutions qualify me to do the the human trafficking stuff then i have now the biblical counseling stuff you know i have the masters in biblical counseling and doctorate in biblical counseling etc etc so i have some secular credentials i'm an addictions certified counselor so i have that so i have both of those worlds right now so i yeah i'm i'm kind of tailor-made for for this arena you know but we're trying to make it very biblical um we're not you know we're trying to use biblical terminology and it's a it's a it's an interesting road i mean there's a lot of pushback and uh, change and that kind of thing with the state uh they you know they just think differently about it um, but I appreciate Pastor Viers at Faith Church because he says, you know, I mean, they're pushing their religion, whether they realize it or not, with psychology being being a religion, they're pushing that, and we we are saying, hey, this is this is legitimate too, and really more legitimate, I think, than the stuff that they're pushing from Freud and all that. I, I think we can really offer these girls help with that human trafficking program. What are some of the things you come up against most frequently that they're seeing differently? Like what are some of the most common things, especially for people listening who um, just aren't familiar with all the ins and outs of, of those dynamics? I mean, the way that the world counsels is, you know, therapy and medicine. I mean, that's, that's what their hope is in. And that somehow you'll magically find the answers within your own self, you know, and we know the answers come from God's word, and 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 by His Spirit. That that's you know that's what changes one's heart motives and desires. And so uh, they just believe that you help the girls, you get them on medicine, and you uh, create a safe environment for them, which we want that as well. 
uh, but then their method of change is not one that brings really any lasting hope. It labels them, it gives them medicine, and it keeps them, I think, from finding the freedom that's available in Christ. Uh, so <clears throat> we're going to do counseling. The world says do counseling, but we're going to do it in a biblical way, you know, and, and um, offer them anger management skills, but do it in a biblical way. And, and all, everything that the world has to offer, we can offer in, um, you know, in a Christ-centered, gospel-centric way. I had a question, and like, I've actually had the opportunity to supervise people who are your interns, I think, or one who's yeah. your intern at Vision of Hope. And one thing that impressed me is those people are working, I gave the analogy, you're not working in the maternity ward, you're working in the trauma unit. Mm -hmm. And so I would assume you're dealing with addictions, you're dealing with the really hard cases. And I guess I'd have two questions. One would be, how do you keep yourself and others encouraged? Because I'm sure there are a lot of cases where people continue in their sin, which is not your failure. But how do you keep people going? And then what kinds of successes are you seeing? Yeah, the first one is is tricky because we kind of ebb and flow. You know, whenever a, a resident leaves the program, whether they leave in rebellion or we have to dismiss them, and that's usually, dismissals are usually for reasons where they're not safe or they're not keep helping keep other people safe, you know, they're putting them in danger. <clears throat> Whenever someone leaves, it's, it's always uh, just a dagger to the heart of the girls that I supervise. So it is, it is tough. And, you know, we have a weekly staff meeting, which I think is as important for relationship and encouragement as, as it is to cover the business of the week. Um, but we communicate well and, and you have to stay on the scriptures and you have to understand that some people get more connected to certain counselees you know in our place than others and so uh I, that i think that's my role is to just shepherd this this group of ladies to help them to not take it so hard when someone leaves or there's a failure um, but we do see a lot of that we do have about a 30 percent graduation rate which is great and our you know <clears throat> i compare that the world's graduation rate there's a 45% success rate for 90-day programs. Typically, our girls are in our program uh, 18 months or so. So we're talking about you know a year and a half versus three months, and we have a 30% graduation rate. So we we think that's a tremendous success rate, and we're we're thankful for that. But you do have to encourage each other and. Um, you know, Hebrews talks about that, encouraging one another every day, exhorting one another daily. And I think that has to happen in, a, in an environment like, like you described, because you, you nailed it on the head. That's, that's exactly what we deal with. Um, and, you know, in some situations, the girls are high-handed rebels. I mean, there are girls now I'm thinking about past, present, and future, and they're just, they're rebellious, you know, they don't even realize how rebellious they are, you know. So part of what we do in a, in a treatment center, rehab facility, is confront them in, in love, but to help them to see that you guys are rebelling and you don't even realize it. You know, you're, you're against God. And so that, that's tough to do because these are many times traumatized girls. Uh, sometimes, I mean, I'd say about 75% of them have sexual abuse issues and issues with their parents they haven't had good homes a lot of them can't 
go back to the home, which is why us being a, a church ministry is so important because our girls can be in part of the, the local church. They don't have to be in a program and then go find a local church. They're in a program that's connected to the local church. So many of them stay right there in Lafayette in the church and they serve. And we have a girl now in the Dominican Republic who graduated our program and is serving down there. We have a couple that have married interns, um, Faith Seminary Bible Institute's in, interns. And so those ladies are serving the Lord as well. So it's really neat to see these girls move from counselee to counselor or minister, you know, in some way, whether it's with their husband and their families or whatever God calls them to do or ministry in the Dominican Republic. It's fun to see. <clears throat> but it takes a lot of work and a lot of investment and emotional investment. It's tough. It is taxing. Mark, hearing all of that, uh, part of what I'm thinking is most of us aren't in the day in, day out type of ministry that you're doing, especially with, with so many people, too. We may have some people in our churches that are struggling with these things intensely. But what would you say to those who are wanting to better understand addictions, wanting to under, better understand these types of struggles that you all deal with, um, but kind of don't know where to start? Or what are some key things that you've learned just in your time working so intensely with these types of situations? I love Proverbs 23, um, the end of that 29 through 35, really describes to me some of the key issues that you want to deal with whenever you're working with somebody who struggles with addiction. It could be anybody. I mean, addiction is just idolatry. <clears throat> I mean, it's, I probably should take more time to explain that, but it's the idea of, you know, putting other things, other, other things that you want for selfish reasons ahead of God and, and everybody else, every priority in your life. And so I always say, and I'll, I'll probably say this tomorrow, is that I always say that the church needs people who um, have been struggling with idolatry and addiction because they know how to lay down their lives. They've just laid it down for the wrong thing, you know, for alcohol and drugs. If you can get them to now, you know, love Jesus, and, and God has to do that, please understand. But if they make that change and you help them to now love Jesus, they'll do so in a radical way where they'll lay down their lives for Christ, which is what we want. So we need people who have struggled with addiction. They understand sacrifice. They're willing to do that. <clears throat> um, but Proverbs 23 really gives some key insights, and we'll go through this tomorrow in the conference um, but there's just some very good things God's given us in His Word that help us to to just understand the heart of an idolater, especially with a drug and alcohol addiction, uh, that are laid out there in Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35. As you mentioned, these people who um, come to see Jesus as the one who truly satisfies and, and to really pour out their lives for him. Do, do any examples come to mind of ways you've seen that change or people that, that jump out? Oh, yeah. The, it's, it's so rewarding. You know, we talk about 30% success rate, but it, those 30% are just make the other 70 worth it, you know. And even those 70, some of them have called me. We had a girl from California who once called and said, you know, I got saved the night before I was dismissed. 
from your program, I was I was led to Christ and I, you know, repented and trusted in Christ. The night before I left, I was dismissed the next day. And usually those things are sort of planned, especially long distance. And she's doing great, you know. So she's one of those 70% who didn't graduate, but is doing great. So you have those kinds of stories. We have girls that have been trafficked and and treated just brutally, and to see them now loving Jesus and having a, a, a different understanding of who God is, trusting Him, I mean, it's it's fabulous. And they serve. They're delightful to be around. The couple of few ladies I'm thinking about who have been trafficked by their own families. I mean, it, it's they're they're delightful young women to be around. They're they're so grateful just for everything, you know, because they've been in wicked wicked situations so they're thankful and uh, and that you know that's always nice to see and and a lot of ladies will volunteer in our program uh, help us many take biblical counselor training and and so forth and i mentioned one is in the dominican republic now serving as a missionary uh, for a year so that's neat to see so all those they're, they're people who think well this is very hard and unrewarding and, and, you know, we should let other people other than the church handle this. They're missing out on the blessings of seeing God radically transform people who will just live for him in, in victory in a, in a sacrificial way. They're missing out on that. How do you prepare the ladies who help with these trafficked women and with women dealing with addiction? How are they prepared for this? Well, we're not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's tough. I, I think uh, we do biblical counseling weekly, but we also have something that we call an orange slip. So if a girl's really struggling with her thoughts or if with anything, we encourage them to fill those out. And they fill out just some information about what they're struggling with, you know, what, what their counselors told them to do already. Usually that's on there, and they have to list that. And then they meet with an intern to talk about it, and then we always have a staff person who's uh, on duty that they can then counsel with in a crisis moment. So we do a lot of that with those girls especially. And then you have girls that, you know, sort of um, space out. They're called flashbacks or they're, you know, they're just times where they're kind of in their thoughts and they kind of get lost in that. And um, you have to... You know, pull them out of that with truth and help them to deal with reality of, of the situation. Uh, and then, you know, you got to go to places that are very dark, that are they've experienced some very wicked things. So I, I typically don't meet with the girls for that because it's a male-female thing. Um, but our staff will walk them through those things. Um, you know, you have girls that don't want to admit that they were raped or that their stepfather did this or, you know, just barriers. And so they've kind of created a, a false reality, you know, even different identities, if you will, just kind of. And so you just have to you have to address those things and bring them to the light and deal with it in, in a new way. They can't keep living this world filled with lies. So. Uh, it, it's just a long process, and 18 months is probably not enough. We have girls that have graduated in three years in our program. You know, it just takes time. Uh, but my hope, I mean, I sit down every session, I'm just hoping and praying, Lord, you have to open their eyes. You have to do this, because we can't. We can't do it. 
we're presenting your truth. We're helping them. We're working as hard as we can. But God, you've got to you've got to really open their eyes. And and they view people. The illustration I use is they see people like we would a stranger, you know, at at a Walmart or somewhere who just looks hideous. I mean, you wouldn't trust your purse or your wallet to this stranger that you you know you see them and you think I, I couldn't trust them with my wallet for six hours. Well, that's how the girls are seeing God. They they don't know him. He looks strange. He looks, you know, like someone they can't trust because that's kind of how they've been programmed to to see him, and that's how they've learned their, themselves to see him. And we have to help them to begin to see him in a new way. That's the the joy of discipling them in the Word is helping them to see that he's not that hideous stranger at Walmart that you couldn't trust with your purse or wallet. But in time. They get to where they not only give him their purse and wallet, but they give him their lives. Hmm. That's what we want to do. That's what we get to do. That's a privilege of ministry with those girls. So it's it's fun. It it, it is. It's there are ups and downs, and you know we write reports. There's end of shift reports. I've been reading those since being here just a couple of days, and you know they're discouraging. Sometimes you're reading those reports, and a girl's kind of, you know, having an attitude and there another one struggling here and this is going on there and you read that stuff and so when I'm away it it's a it, it tugs on your heartstrings a little bit but uh you know that's the joy of walking with them through the process and it is a daily thing and and it takes our whole team to help these girls and you know some will end up walking away and investigating the claims of Christ and walking away but others will uh, will gladly trust him with their lives and and then begin living for him and that's our that's our hope mark one of the things just as as we wrap up that you've referred to over and over again is just the centrality of the church in seeking to to provide this help and uh, that is something that's often lacking in the conversations we see Christians wanting to help people in this situation, but the concept of the church being involved in that's just just absent. Um, can you just let us know why that's so central, or how you've seen that play such a role in this? Yeah, that's probably my greatest disappointment is that the church churches often think they can't or they're not qualified because they see addiction as a, a medical problem rather than as addiction as idolatry and as a heart problem and there are certainly certain physical things and other other considerations but uh, for the church to think well I can't help people um, that that is crushing to me because I believe that too and now I see that man the church is the only vehicle that can rescue people and teach them truth you know when Tiger Woods went to rehab years ago he went to rehab in a place in Mississippi. They actually carry my book. They're not a Christian organization, but they have a donor who gives a lot. And he got my book in their in their bookstore. And I always thought if Tiger Woods goes to this program, it's not Christian. I mean, they did, he did have access, I guess, technically to the book. But what they teach there will not transform his mind. It won't. It won't change his heart. And then I heard uh, last month or so he had some addiction issues with prescription medication, and but he was arrested for driving a vehicle and so forth just a, you know within a month uh, about a month ago. And years ago he went to rehab, but it, it didn't change the heart. So the local church he's not going to hear the truth 
without the local church. And in programs like that, guys like Tiger Woods will go, they'll get help, they'll be sober for a while, but it's not lasting heart change. And we won't graduate a lady. I mean, we've had a few that have finished the requirements and done you know, what was necessary, but I just don't want to graduate ladies unless they're really walking with Jesus. That's, that's what's important to me. So I think the local church has to be involved and I think one of the dangers, again, with CR is that they promote themselves as a replacement for the local church. Well, if you can't go to the local church, don't go right now. That's your decision. You come to CR is kind of what they say. And I think that's, that's a shame because we need to get people in the local church, not in a CR program, which I know some of those folks are believers, but still, it, it's the local church. And, and that's what... Jesus said he would build, you know, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So that's what we need to be doing. And, and the more I can get involved in local church training and, and help, appreciate you guys and all the work you do. You guys are technologically ahead of all the rest of us put together in the, in the biblical counseling world, just with all the resources and stuff you guys do here. So thank you for that. Um, but we've got to get churches to believe, first of all, that, hey, I can do this. And that's what I'm hoping to accomplish at this conference, especially with the Biblical Insights into Addiction workshop. That one is the one where everywhere I teach it, people go, oh, okay, I think I can work with somebody who struggles with addiction now. And it's just unpacking Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35. Well, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. We're looking forward to your talks. And uh, when this podcast airs in the show notes, we'll have links to your talks and the notes for those. And then also some of the resources that we mentioned here so people can can be checking those out. And uh, we're just delighted to have you with us. We're thankful for your heart and uh, excited to continue to get word out of how God's people can care for people in these struggles. Thank you, guys. And finally, for our listeners, I just wanted to mention that by the time these episodes are airing, all of the audios from the conference will be available for free on our website, the pre-conference, workshops, everything, and videos from the general sessions as well, all available at ibcd.org. That's ibcd.org.